Well, a lot, of, a lot of things new for me this morning. I think this is the first time I've ever preached, and Pastor Mike's been here. Uh, he was supposed to be in Southern California with, or Cal, Northern California, I guess, Frisco with his family uh, after the funeral, but they drove back, and here he is. So Mike is here today, and uh, that's new for me. I was going to make a joke about him because, uh, you know, when Mike preaches, uh, you have to go to the chiropractor to get your neck adjusted. Have you, have you ever watched Wimbledon where they go like this as the ball goes over the net and over the net and over the net? And uh, Mike moves from there to there to there. And I, I stick a little bit closer to here into my notes, so I hope that doesn't disappoint you too much. But uh, I want to speak to you this morning about the subject of the God who answers by fire. I think that's probably why the Holy Spirit had Jeff lead us in worship about songs. Did you hear the word great repeated over and over? The God who answers by fire. Um, And I think I'd like to just give you two verses. They're not my text, actually. But they're two verses that uh, will sort of set this up for where we're headed. One of them is the last chapter Uh, the last book of the Old Testament, it's Malachi, chapter 3, and uh, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. I just want that to soak in for just a minute. I, the Lord, do not change. And, of course, that's Old Testament. So let's go to the New Testament and get the same kind of thing, okay? Let's look at it at Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. Really? How many of you were here last week and heard Pastor Mike speak? Let me just see. Just, yeah, 80% of you or so. Really? God is the same to Moses that he is to you. This morning we're going to be talking about Elijah. God is the same to Elijah that he is to you. Really? God has revealed himself in fire to you just like he did to Moses. Well, I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, Something that uh, we have to think about. I want to tell you a story. Uh, I've just been involved in a publishing project. Uh, It's called Miracle Invasion. It was just released about eight or ten weeks ago. First printing has sold out. It's now in the second printing. And it's 40 authentic stories of miracles that have happened, not that our grandparents or our parents told us about, and not in Africa or India or South America. These are miracles that happened in North America in our day and in our time, where the God that we serve answered by fire. The great God, the mighty God, the God that comes unexpectedly and suddenly, He answers by fire. He really does, and He wants to And you can expect him to and invite him to. Andrea Johnson is really a, a, a not Johnson, I know an Andrea Johnson. Andrea Anderson is a soft-spoken, sweet grandmother that lives in Sarnia, Ontario, Canada. She had diabetes. Diabetes has a lot of complications that come with it. Some of you here probably know a little bit about it. Everything from congestive heart failure to nerve pain to to depression, all kinds of stuff. But probably the most debilitating of all the diseases uh, uh, related to diabetes is the blindness that affects the retinas. Uh, 
Andrea noticed that she couldn't see to the side anymore. She was losing her peripheral vision. So she went to her doctor that had been taking care of her for quite some time. And her doctor said, I'm sorry to tell you, Andrea, but you are legally blind. It totally shocked her. She wasn't prepared for that, didn't expect it to go there with it. But what she really didn't expect was that within two weeks, she was not just legally blind, she was totally blind. Andrea Johnson could not tell light from dark. She could not tell what color her clothes were to put on. She could not watch television. She had been thrust into a world of blackness and darkness. Of course, the March of Dimes and the uh, Canadian Institute for the Blind and, and all the different services, the Red Cross, came along beside her and they gave her a cane and they taught her how to, how to walk and how to put her things up in the cupboards and arrange her clothes. They gave her a talking daisy machine so, so she could listen to CDs and to her Bible and to books that she wanted. But really, uh, she says it was a grim existence from day to day, month to month, and year to year. Twelve years, all documented by the doctor. This history of blindness. And then on an ordinary Sunday. Is today an ordinary Sunday? On an ordinary Sunday, her friends had to pick her up to go to church. She, of course, couldn't drive, so she went to church on Sunday morning. They had a visiting speaker by the name of Ted Shuttlesworth from West Virginia. So Ted preached, and, and uh, it was a great message. Andrea usually didn't come back for Sunday evening services, but Brother Ted was going to speak again, and so she wanted to hear him, so she came back. She hadn't introduced herself to him. They hadn't talked. She didn't know him. He didn't know her. He was going through the aisles that Sunday evening, praying for different people as the Lord led him to, and he came to her aisle, and her testimony reads a little bit like this. It's in the book. It says, he was going through the aisles praying for people, and all of a sudden, I felt a hand on the back of my head, and in a commanding voice, he said, you blinding spirit... I command you to go and report to your master, Satan. You failed in your mission to keep this woman blind. Eyes open for the glory of God. Within seconds, Andrea was following the speaker to the front of the church, and he wanted to test the results, and so he lifted an arm and said, do this, and she did that, and he lifted another arm and waved his hand, and she did that. And then he lifted his legs, and she did that. And then he said, how many fingers am I holding up? About this time, it's dawning on the congregation that Andrea Anderson has just had her eyes open after 12 years of documented blindness. And they erupt in praise. She begins to weep. The pastor still has the white cane in uh, his office. And the doctor says to her, I'm a scientific man. I don't know what to say. He checked all of his reports, documenting over a decade of blindness. He put Andrea through a series of tests, and finally he couldn't do anything but tell his wife and other doctors about it. His natural mind could not apprehend the supernatural. So is God really your God? Is the God of Moses your God? Is the God of Elijah your God? Has he uh, disrupted your ordinary to usher in the extraordinary? Has he uh, defied the, the routine, the status quo? That's what I want to talk to you about. We, we don't typically think of God and associate him with fire 
although I noticed it was in one of our songs this morning. Called him a consuming fire. All that's because that's biblical, of course. When I think of fire, the first thing that comes to my mind is camping. Hot dogs, s'mores. I mean, come on, that's, that's fun, right? Or firecrackers or barbecuing burgers or, or I mean, when I think of fire, that's the, that's the good stuff that happens. But, you know, bad stuff happens with fire, too. Destroys forests and destroys homes and property. And, and you know, fire is good and bad. As a matter of fact, fire, if you stop and think about it, fire and wind are the two most forceful powers of nature in our natural realm. In the plane of human events that we live and walk in this world, fire and wind, and God identifies himself with fire all through Scripture. And I'd like to go through about seven different passages just to show you how the Bible talks about God as it relates to fire, because we're going to go ultimately to 1 Kings chapter 18 and talk about how God answered the prophets of Baal with fire and wicked King Ahab. Let's look first at Deuteronomy 4.24 and Hebrews 12.29. They both say the same thing. Our God is a consuming fire. Last week, Pastor Mike preached on Moses. And do you remember that Moses, God appeared to Moses in a bush that was burning, spoke out of the bush. The bush wasn't consumed. It didn't burn, Right? So it says, the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, one of the most descriptive visions and pictures of the Lord Jesus is at the end of your Bible in the book of Revelation in the first chapter, when John is is banished on the Isle of Patmos. And there he has a vision of the Lord. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he had this vision and he said, I saw the Lord, and his voice was like the sound of the trumpet. And then he begins to describe. Now, how do you describe something that's beyond description? How do you do that? Well, you use similes and metaphors that you know in your world, in your context, to describe something that's outside and that, that you can't, can't grasp. And he, he ultimately says, let's, let's bring it up here, and says, the hair on his head was like wool, as white as snow, And then it says his eyes were like blazing fire. And then it says his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Now in Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist is one of the first things that happens in the New Testament. He comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says this. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I. Notice the word powerful is there because fire is associated with power. More powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? And with fire. God keeps associating himself with fire. Now, Let's, this actually did happen. This is a prophecy that John the Baptist gives, but let's go to the story of Acts, which Luke wrote. And in Acts chapter 2, you actually see when the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, there's that wind I told you about, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So I want to ask you again, has your God answered you with fire? 
Has your God answered you with fire? Because he wants to and he's promised to. Elijah was a man. Pastor Mike began his whole series on heroes by saying Elijah. From This is James 5, 17, as I recall. Elijah was a man just like us. It's hard to get your arms and your spirit around. We know it intellectually, don't we? We know it intellectually. We know that God doesn't have favorites. God's no respecter of persons. God will treat you just like he did Moses and Elijah. But experientially, in our lives, in our spirit, in our walk with God, in our closeness, in our relationship with him, can we expect God to really answer us by fire? I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 9, 1 to 3 real quickly. It says, Hear, O Israel, you're about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess the nations greater and stronger than you. Notice greater and stronger. With large cities. Walls up to the... Those are pretty high walls. Greater and stronger. Walls up to the sky. The people... I mean, this is a pretty bleak picture, right? This is Deuteronomy, duet is two. You've heard of a trio, a quartet. A duet is two people singing, right? Duet, two. Onomy is the study of. Uh, Deuteronomy is the study of the second law. It's a series of eight discourses that Moses gives to the second generation of Israel because the first generation all died out in the wilderness because they disobeyed God. So now they're camped on the side of the Jordan, and here Moses is giving them the second law. He's giving it to the second generation. The people are strong and tall. The Anakites, you know about them and have heard it said, who can stand against the Anakites? Their reputation precedes them. But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like what? Like a devouring fire. Doesn't that give you hope? Wow, that gives me hope. We may not be facing the Anakites today. You know, it may not be giants you're facing or high walls or, or cities and all that kind of stuff, but you do have foes. You're fighting disease and you're fighting the devil and you're fighting depression and discouragement and, and any other Ds that we can think of as they come rolling off. I mean, you're fighting health issues and marriage issues and relationship issues and you're fighting substance abuse issues, and, and you're fighting uh, prodigal children issues. There's all kinds of things we're fighting. And our God has said he would go before us like a devouring fiery, like a devouring fire. And just one more. I want to give you Psalm 97, 1 to 3. It's not a, a slide that I have for you, but it says, The Lord reigns, fire goes before him, consuming his foes. The Lord reigns, fire goes before him, consuming his foes. So, Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 to 39, 19 verses. I want to talk to you about this prophet. We call him a non-writing prophet because he didn't write a book titled after his name. It doesn't make him any less of, a, of an honorable prophet of God. It's just that he didn't write a book uh, named after himself. Elijah was bold, he was stern, he was self-sacrificing, 
His ministry was marked by eight specific bold miracles. He burst on the scene out of nowhere. We don't know anything about him except Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead. You know, um, I don't know what that means. Jeff, the Puyallupite from Washington. That's, what, that's all we know about him. Uh, so it says, Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead, and he just bursts on the scene. And then he disappears miraculously after these eight miracles in his life. He just goes up in a chariot of what? Fire. With horses of what? Fire. So he, he comes and he goes. He confronted evil. He walked fearlessly under the Spirit's anointing. He and Moses both were paid the high honor in the New Testament of being on the Mount of Transfiguration. By the way, I have, for those of you that are Bible students and have walked with the Lord for years, you're mature saints and you, you, you know all the scripture. You remember Moses didn't get to go in the promised land? He, he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And because he disobeyed God, he brought all these people to the edge of the river. They got to go in and he had to watch them go in. He didn't get to go in. And he lived his life to get them to the promised land. And he didn't make it, right? Wrong. He made it. In the New Testament, he's standing in the promised land with Elijah and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He made it. So did Elijah. Really paid him a high honor. Probably the most famous story about Elijah is, uh, comes from this 1 Kings chapter 18 passage when he faced off the 450 prophets of Baal with wicked King Ahab. Just a little bit of background real quickly. Um, Israel had had a civil war. And so there were really two kingdoms of Israel, the northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes. And um, Ahab was this wicked king that he actually called Elijah the troubler. The troubler of Israel. That was his name. Because you see, Ahab had forsaken the true living God. He had built an idolatrous house of worship for Baal in Samaria. It says in the Bible he was more wicked than all of his fathers before him. Uh, he surrounded himself with prophets of Baal and prophets of Asherah. I mean, th this guy was bad. He was really, really bad. And he didn't like Elijah because Elijah was so fed up with Ahab that he said, okay, we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord for three and a half years to just not let it rain. And there's going to be this terrible famine, and we're going to bring you to your knees. And that's what he did. He prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. So uh, Elijah went, goes out to meet, or Ahab goes out to meet Elijah, and Elijah says to him, I want you to summon all the people in Israel. I want you to summon the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, and meet me on Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel which is a, is a range of mountains in northern Israel along the Mediterranean coast. So let's pick it up in verse 20, shall we? So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. I'm going to stop there because we need to talk about this whole thing of how long will you waver between two opinions. Um, it's a big issue in Scripture. Do you remember when Joshua in chapter 24 said to 
those that were with him, he said, look, you serve any God you want. You can serve the gods that your father served on the other side of the river, or you can serve the Amorites that are right here in the new land that we've just taken over. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He said, choose which gods you're going to serve. The same thing the Bible concludes in the book of Revelation to the final church, the seven churches in chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 15. To the church at Lady Osea, it says, You think you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but you don't realize you're poor and blind and miserable and naked. And then he said this to him. He said, you ought to just be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Just be hot or cold. Don't don't walk a fence with God. Don't, Don't worship him on, don't compartmentalize God. Don't worship him on Sunday because everybody's around here and it's easy to do. And then go out all week long and uh, you're afraid. I mean, it's a lot easier to walk with a majority, isn't it, than the minority? It's a lot easier to, uh, to stand with those that feel safe and secure instead of standing for principle and truth. There aren't very many bold, there aren't very many get-in-your-face kind of Christians anymore who have had a God that's answered them by fire and they know that they know that they know that He is God. And this is what Elijah's doing now. He's saying to the people, look, get off your duff. Come on, get with it. Either worship Baal or worship Jehovah, but don't do both. Church, either worship Jehovah and serve Him or worship Baal, but don't do both. He would rather have you cold than lukewarm. Oh, that's a hard word. That's a hard word. He would rather have you cold than lukewarm. Wow. And then it says, the people didn't answer him. Silence says everything, doesn't it? Silence says everything. You know, every generation needs a new revelation of God. Every generation needs a new breakout of God. Every generation, the church needs to see another revival, a genuine, authentic revival, a spiritual awakening. And Joshua, or Joshua, Elijah was dealing with a generation that hadn't seen a God that answers by fire yet. And he was bringing them to a place where he was going to lay the axe to the root and fell the tree. There wasn't going to be any fence walking anymore. They're going to know that they know who is God. This thing is black and white. The shades of gray are gone. Either God is God or Baal is God, but we're not going to have a selection among many. You know, ladies, you go to your pantry to get a can of soup and and uh, there's split pea soup and tomato soup and bean with bacon soup and cream of mushroom soup. It's just one can of many many cans. You know, one god of many many gods. You know, uh, worship Buddha, worship Baal, worship Jehovah, worship Confucius. I don't know. Just worship whoever. No, Elijah says enough is enough. We're going to draw a line in the sand, and you're going to know that you know that this is the one true living God. When God called Gideon in Judges 6.13, Gideon's response to the Lord was, you know, if the Lord is with us, why all this trouble? And then listen to what he said. Where are all his miracles our fathers told us about? 
Be honest. You've said that, haven't you? You pray and nothing happens, or you think nothing happens, and you say, where are all the miracles our fathers told us about? Habakkuk was a young prophet, and he cried out to God desperately. Let's read what Habakkuk said. He said, Lord, I've heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds when I hear of that fame, but would you please repeat them in our day? In our time, would you make them known? Have you ever cried that out? I have. I do. A God who answers by fire, a God that's authentic. You know what the millennials are all asking right now? The younger generation, the youth? Does it work? Does Christianity work? Does the Bible work? Is God, is the God of Moses and the God of Elijah really, really the one true God? That's what they want to know. Is the God of the revivals of history the same God today? I want you to hear it the way that Pastor Mike said it last week. I'm the same God that, that, that spared Noah and flooded the earth. I'm the same God that breathed life into Adam and said, let there be light. And there was light. I'm the same God. I wonder sometimes when we get a little nervous about stepping out of our comfort zone and taking on whatever it is God called us to do if we're nervous that God's not the same God. We get in the scriptures and we go, yeah, this God called down fire. I haven't seen any fire lately, but God's like, I'm the same God. Well, this God could heal. And he demonstrated his power and faithfulness time and time again. And God's like, hey, 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 I'm the same God. And we say, hey, I, I want to step out and, and take this risk, but I'm not sure God will have my back the same way he had Elijah's back. And God's like, hey, same God. Have you seen any fire lately? Have you seen any fire lately? I told you the stories I'm going to tell you from the book are contemporary. This one's really close to home. It happened just just recently in the Everett Mall, March of 2017, exactly 12 months ago. Jamie Rouch is a young evangelist from the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. He lives in Vancouver, but he ministers on both sides of the border in Canada and the USA. He does seminars on lifestyle evangelism, showing how to share Christ and to pray for the sick and needy. And so after he does the seminar, the workshops in the church, then he, the people that have come to the training go out with him into the community and engage in what they have learned, trying to start up a conversation about God sharing Christ, and if people have a need, they pray for him. He had two ladies from the church go with him, and they showed up at the Everett Mall north of Seattle, March 2017. Jamie and the women prayed. And said, Lord, where would you have us go? And one of the women that was there said, you know, my daughter works down here in the cosmetic shop uh, doing makeovers, and she has a lady that works with her, um, but my daughter's not there today. And so Jamie says, well, let's go down and see if, see if this lady's there. The reason they could figure out who it was is because um, the girl that works there said, you know, this lady's on crutches. The forearm crutches, there's a name for those. I call them Canadian crutches, but they're the forearm crutches. So they walked down in front of the cosmetic shop. They saw the lady back there just finishing up a makeover. And uh, as soon as 
the customer walked away, in goes the mom and introduces herself and says, hi, I'm so-and-so's mother. My daughter works with you. She says, hi, I'm Michaela. What can I do for you? And um, she says, well, um, I was wondering, I have some friends here in the mall. We were wondering if we could pray for you. Would that be okay? Well, I'm just starting a 15-minute break, um, sort of hesitant, not sure what this is all about. My parents are here, too. They were going to go on break with me. Is it okay if they come? Sure, bring them along. So she, Michaela goes back to get her jacket while Jamie and the two women visit with the parents who say, Michaela's hips have been displaced for nearly 20 years, since the time she was eight years old. The artery, the, the, what's the C-A-R-T-A-O-I-D artery, the cathoid artery, whatever that's called, the ligaments, they've all atrophied. And she hasn't walked for 20, 19 plus years, almost 20 years, 8 to 27. She's 27 when they came in. So Michaela comes out. They're in a busy mall right there in front of the cosmetic store on her break. They make a circle. And Jamie says, We're, we'd like to pray for you. Would it be okay if we put our hands on your shoulder? He didn't want to be, uh, uh, offend her. And he was a stranger. And she said, sure, that would be okay. So the two ladies and Jamie laid their hands on her shoulder. Uh, this woman had suffered chronic pain, bone-to-bone friction for 20 years. The first thing he did before they prayed is he said, are you feeling any pain right now? And she said, yeah. He says, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your pain level? She said, oh, 7. She said, that's normal for me, except the very first time when I get up in the morning. That's normal. And he said, okay, we're going to pray. And this is how he prayed. A very short prayer. I now command the pain to go in the name of Jesus. I command all feeling to come back to Michaela's legs. I ask for new hips. In Jesus' name, amen. He looked at, Jane, at Michaela and he said, would you mind handing me the crutches and see if you could take some steps? Uh, 20 years now. Uh, well... I guess I could try that. So she takes them off her arms and she hands the crutches to Jamie and she takes one step and then two steps and then three steps. And then she passes the first door and then she passes the second door. She turns around and she walks all the way back to them. Michaela's mother is crying. The father is staring in the air in total bewilderment. They get, she gets back to Jamie and Jamie says, how are you feeling? Is there still any pain? And she says, well, yeah, really. He said, how much? She said, well, maybe three or four. And uh, he says, well, we don't want any pain. And so they prayed for her again. They ended up praying for her three times because Jamie remembered the story of Jesus praying twice for the guy with blind eyes in the New Testament. Finally, the mother was just totally bawling, just totally bawling. And, and Michaela says, I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on. I just don't know what, go and they just simply said, Michaela, Jesus loves you. He doesn't want you to be in pain. He wants to set you free. And so they invited her to the services that evening. Let's look at 1 Kings 18, 24. 1 Kings 18, 24. 
Then you call on the name of your God. Elijah's talking, and he says to the prophets of Baal, he says, you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So they're both building altars, right? And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Let's keep reading. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Then there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. Let's keep reading. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us. Now, you, this is a great image. You got to get this in your mind. You have to see what's going on here because it actually gets funny. Baal, answer us. And they shouted. That's the first thing you see. They shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. Now they're dancing. So they've moved from shouting to dancing. And they danced around the altar they had made. Let's keep going. Now at noon, you remember this started in the morning, right? Now we're at midday. We're at noon. And Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. So they've gone from shouting to shouting louder to dancing. He said, surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Let's keep going. So they shouted louder, and they, now they're cutting themselves. They slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. I want you to go back just a little. You know, Elijah has himself out on a limb here. And it reminds me some of what Pastor Mike said last week. Um, have you ever been out on a limb with God? See, there has to be such a deep confidence and a deep assurance that God will answer by fire, that you're willing to go out on a limb with him. That's what trust and faith is all about. Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that believes in God must come to him. Okay? You've you got to believe in God. I, I actually had an experience um, last week, actually. I've been going to LA Fitness now for... I don't know, I went to the Y. I've been here in town seven years, so maybe for five years I went to the Y, and then I transferred over to LA Fitness. And every morning when I go in, there's this young lady, a blonde, behind a juice bar, selling protein stuff and energy drinks and juices and all that kind of stuff. So this goes on for two years, and um, a couple weeks ago I walked by on the way out. I've never introduced myself to her. I have never bought anything at the bar, and I uh, walked by her, and the Holy Spirit arrested me just like that and said, this young lady's fighting depression and discouragement. You need to give her a word of hope. I will confess to you that I chickened out, and I didn't do it. And two or three or four days passed. The weekend passed, and it was the next week, and the Holy Spirit was just doing this to me. And I knew I had to obey God. And I was out on a limb with God. This was a total stranger to me. We had no relationship whatsoever. But I have learned over the years in ministry that if you don't obey God, see, God doesn't have anything if you don't obey him. I mean, he needs obedience. That's what, that's what he wants from us is obedience. 
And so I finished my workout, and I'm walking by, and I say, today's the day, and I stopped, and I introduced myself. I won't tell you her name. Maybe somebody here would know her. And I said, um, I'm a Christian, and the Lord spoke to me the other day when I was walking by your juice bar and told me thus and thus and thus. And I wanted you to know that God loves you, that he has your back. If you, if you turn to him, he's going to help you. You don't need to be discouraged. And I gave her a scripture, you know, about coming to the Lord, all you who labor, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And I left. I didn't try to lead her to Christ. I didn't invite her to church. I just sowed the word. I deposited the word of God out on a limb. The following morning, I came back to the club. Guess what? I'd been going there two years. The juice bar was empty. It was closed down, and there was a sign that said, uh, available for rent. One more day, and I'd have missed an opportunity. If I had disobeyed God one more day. Beloved, we... God is waiting to touch our community, our neighborhood. And he's going to do it, not through Moses or Elijah. He's going to do it through you. You're the people. God will answer you by fire. God will, God will hear your cry. Trust me, I know that he will. I know that he will. I want you to notice how disadvantaged Elijah made himself. If we could go back to verse 25, Donald. It says, you choose the bull. You get to choose first. The bad guys get to choose first. And, and you not only get your selection or your choice, but you get to go first. I'm having fun watching my grandchildren play on the playground and, and do other things. You know how kids want to be first? You know, they coming up to the slippery slide and they push one another aside so they can get up the steps first to do it. You know, everybody, that's, that's human nature. We want to be first. We want the advantage, Right? Well, that's what he's given them. He's giving away his advantage. And he says, you get to choose which bull, and you get to go first, and you get from morning till nearly nighttime. You get all day. And I'm going to get a few minutes at the end of the day. And that's the way God works. 1 Samuel 14, verse 6 says, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or few. See there at the end? Nothing can hinder the Lord by saving many or few. God delights in sending little Davids against Goliath. I mean, that's, he's in his element when he sends Gideon's army of 300 against the Midianites and the Amalekites. And these, uh, when, when little Israel comes out and they're like slaves, you might think a million or three million people was a lot, but when the whole empire of Egypt, Pharaoh, chariots, are marching against them and Israel's back to the sea and they have no advantage whatsoever, God loves that kind of context. It says in Isaiah 60, 22, a little one shall become a strong nation. So, this is what Elijah does. Now let's go to verse 30, 39. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour, uh, pour it on the offering on the wood. 
Now, he's already disadvantaged himself. He doesn't get to choose which bull. He doesn't get to go first, and he doesn't get the whole day. Now he's saying, soak my altar and soak the sacrifice. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today. I'm going to just stop with those words. You know, I grew up watching, they were black and white, but I watched cowboy movies. I watched Hopalong Cassidy and Roy Rogers and, you know, The Lone Ranger and all those guys, Gene Autry. And they'd always, somewhere in the movie, they'd always have cattle and they'd tie them up and they'd brand them. If I could brand your mind today with one thing, I would brand it with these words. Let it be known today that you are God. Let it be known today in my life, on my job, in my neighborhood, against the foes that I stand against where you're a consuming fire. Let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Let's keep reading. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Isn't that amazing? I saw my first miracle when I was a new Christian as a junior in high school, maybe a senior in high school. It was Thanksgiving, and Mom had prepared the meal, and, and uh, my father had been wearing a steel brace on his back for six months. Um, he tried to sit down at the Thanksgiving meal. It was just our immediate family. Both my parents were only children, we thought, and that's another whole story. <laughs> and uh, so I, I grew up, never had a cousin, Never had an aunt, never had an uncle, never had a grandparent. They were deceased on both sides. It was just the five of us. So we sat down for the Thanksgiving meal, and my dad got stuck halfway down. And it hurt so bad. It's the first time in my life I've ever seen a grown man cry. And he couldn't get up, and he couldn't get down. Now, my dad weighed 300-plus pounds. So my brother and I and sister and mom, we did the best we could to drag dad to bed. We put him to bed, and we... By that time, Thanksgiving meal was pretty much ruined, uh, but we nevertheless ate Thanksgiving meal, and we were going to have our pumpkin pie, and Mom said, oh, I forgot the whipped cream. So there was a little quick trip shop open two, three blocks from us. She sent me up to get it, and I went up to get the whipped cream. What I didn't know is that my dad in bed had turned on back then a cassette recorder because we were new to the things of God. We hadn't been going, we, we went to church, but it was a very liberal downtown mainline Protestant church. So we didn't know God. We knew about God, but we didn't know God. Big difference. And somebody had given him a tape, and the man that was preaching said, if you're listening to this and you have a need in your body, reach out and touch the tape recorder and say, in Jesus' name, I can be healed. So I'm down in my 55 Chevy picking up the whipped cream. I walk in the door of our house, the back door after I park, and my father, six months, steel brace. He has a wooden board in the car that he sits on. Both It's, it's in an L shape so that it's on his thighs, the back of his thighs and up his back. 
He's doing calisthenics. He's doing deep knee bends and jumping jacks, 300 pounds in the kitchen, shouting, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. A miracle wasn't on my radar screen. I wasn't even saved at that time. I didn't know Christ. But he's a God that answers by fire. Now, I have more to say, but I'm going to skip a whole bunch, and I'm just going to go straight to the end because we have about 10 minutes left. And Jeremiah 33.3 is a passage most of you know. Anybody want to quote it for me? Jeremiah 33.3. Let's look at it. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Does God lie? God's not a liar. Let, let's be really honest here. Does God always give us miracles? No. Does God always answer your prayer for healing or for deliverance or to be set free or to heal a broken marriage or to bring your prodigal home? God doesn't always answer by fire that way, but let me promise you this. God always answers prayer. Did you hear what I said? God always answers prayer. He may not answer it in the time you want. He may not answer it the way you want. But he knows your destiny in Christ. He knows the purposes of God in your life. He knows your calling and the divine appointment that is peculiar to you and unique to you like every snowflake is unique and different. And God does have a plan for your life. And sometimes when we don't get that miracle we hope for, it's because he sees a greater miracle that will take place if you go through the water and through the fire like the three Hebrew children. In Daniel, they said, hey... We're not going to worship that 90-foot image of gold. And it's all right if you throw us in the fire. Our God will deliver us. And if he doesn't, he's still God. And so they went through the fire. And God did a greater miracle because they went through the fire. Now, we don't need to give an altar call for a show of hands who needs a miracle. Because you know what? Every single person right here needs a miracle. We all do, some kind. It might not be you. It might be related to your family. It might be related to your body, to your finances, to your marriage, any number of things. It might be a prodigal child. There are people in this congregation I've been praying regularly for a miracle for them to happen. And it was for Andrea Anderson, it was an ordinary Sunday. So I wonder if I could ask Pastor Mike to join me up here if I could and let's all stand could we look at Isaiah 43 just before we pray look at this this is God's promise to you when you pass through the waters I'll be with you when you pass through the rivers they'll not sweep over you when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. That's God's way of saying, I'm either going to answer you with fire and deliver you by an instant miracle, which he might do today, this morning, or it might be, I'm going to be with you when you go through it all. For I am the Lord, Moses is God. That's the rest of it. Looky there. 
What's it say? For I am the Lord Moses' God. Does it say I am the Lord Elijah's God? I am the Lord Paul's God or Peter's God? No, you're my hero just like I am. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Thank you, Lord. If you need a miracle this morning and you're bold enough to just step out into the aisle, we have nine minutes before we're going to say the closing prayer. If you don't come out, we understand. But if you would like pastor, myself, or others to pray for you, lay hands on you and pray for you, today might be the day that that depression is lifted. When the marriage is healed, when the prodigal son has a transformation in his life and is called home, today could be the day. When Jeff was talking earlier about the encounter he had with the young woman at the gym. I just struck as I'm praying for all of you that there might be some in the room wrestling with a similar lane of just believing the wrong voices, all right? John 10, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And maybe you didn't step forward because you were thinking this is just a physical touch because I have a physical pain. But maybe the pain you've been carrying is different than physical. Maybe it's been a, a line of thinking, a wrong belief about yourself, your identity, who you are, that has been just a heavy weight, a, a depression. And I, I just, as clear as day, the Holy Spirit is just saying, listen, the voice you're hearing today, that's my voice, okay? The voice you're hearing in this place, that's my voice. When that other voice is starting to lean in and tell you something different than what you're hearing in this moment, you need to ignore and reject that voice. And you need to tune in and understand, this is my voice. You're my child who I created, who is fearfully and wonderfully made. I love you. I have a plan for you. There is a hope for you. And it is not the end. And the best is yet to come. And I just felt like some, someone in the room, you didn't come forward, but you needed to hear some truth. That's the voice. That's, that's, that's how my father sounds. That's how your father sounds. He believes in you. He loves you. You have value. There's a destiny and a hope for you. And any voice that's telling you anything different than that, somehow we're not even going to acknowledge that anymore. That's out. We're done listening to that voice. So Jesus, give us eyes to see and ears to hear almost like, a, like an antenna <laughs> back when we used to have to tune into stations, that we would tune into your station. That would be the voice we hear. We tune out all the other stations. I pray in the name of Jesus for the one who's dealing right now with just a, a, a battle, a war in their thought life, for their identity, for their value. <laughs> you don't make junk. You don't make mistakes. You designed us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, and our trust and our hope is in you. And your, your word's so clear. You're the good shepherd. You lay down your life for the sheep. Your sheep know your voice. God, help us to hear your voice, I pray in the name of Jesus. And Father, for each and every one up here, God, uh, taking a step forward in, in trust and in faith, believing that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of David, is still God. You're still the same God. You still heal, you restore, you revive. It's not because of clever words that we speak. It's because of the power and authority that you gave us by your Holy Spirit to believe. So God, I pray, and the, your word says when we pray, we should pray in faith and just believing that you're able to do more than we even thought you could do. Some up here still waiting, God, for, for that touch, for that moment. I just pray in the name of Jesus, do what only you can do because it's gotta be you. And we trust you and we love you and we put our hope in you. 
and we say thanks. In Jesus' name. And the whole church said, amen. Amen. We love you, church.